Uh, if you have a Bible, or if you can, if you're on a computer or on your phone, if you want to uh, turn to James chapter three, we're actually going to be looking at the entire chapter, and so um, I'm going to kind of read it throughout the sermon. Um, but James chapter three, you definitely want to keep uh, that bookmarked because I'm going to go through pretty much every verse. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, new to our church. Uh, we're going through a uh, series in the book of James called The Way of Faith. Um, and this entire book is all about how our faith practically uh, plays out in day-to-day life, right? Like, how does our relationship with Jesus affect the way we treat people? How does it affect the way we spend our time and money? How does it affect the way we make decisions about our lives? Uh, because the, the premise of this book is that you take two people, one who follows Jesus and one who doesn't, and you should be able to tell the difference immediately, right? Like if you gave me access uh, to someone's bank account and they're recently watched on Netflix and their Amazon delivery history over the past month, I'm pretty sure I could figure out generally how old that person is or, or at least what life stage that person is in. Why? Because all these things are clues that tell us about a person's priorities, their needs, their interests. And what James is getting at in this book is this idea that if you indeed call yourself a genuine follower of Jesus, people should see evidence of that all over your life. Okay, And today uh, we're looking at a passage that suggests that there is no greater evidence of our faith than the words that come out of our mouths. Okay, pay attention to what someone says and you will learn everything you need to know about that person. And all of us know that words are powerful, right? We've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? The funny thing is, is when kids say that, they're usually crying while they're saying it. Why? Because it's not true. Words do hurt us. Words crush us. Words traumatize us. Words affect the trajectory of our lives. Words are often the reason we need therapy as adults, right? There is no weapon more powerful than our words. Like so much of who we are today has been shaped by the things that have been said to us or the things that we've said to others, right? I don't even have to ask you if you've ever said something you regretted because we regret the things we say on a daily basis, Right. If I told you to go back even one week and write down everything you said to your family members, uh, write down uh, everything you posted on social media, I guarantee you that you would be shocked to read the words that came out of your mouth. I bet some of you wouldn't even believe they were your words. Like for you parents out there, right? Have you ever said something to your child out of anger or frustration? And then immediately, the moment those words left your mouth and you looked into your child's eyes and you knew you messed up bad. Or have you been in the middle of a fight with your sibling or your spouse and you brought up that one thing that you knew is off limits, but you did it anyway because you knew it was going to cause some damage and you actually wanted it to happen. And all of us know that once we speak something into the universe, it's really hard to take it back. Like you can say sorry, you can say you didn't mean what you said or you didn't mean uh, to say it the way you did, that this isn't really representative of the person you are. But at the end of the day, you said what you said, how you said it. 
right? People are getting canceled every day in our culture. Uh, why? Because of their words. Sometimes words they said 20 years ago that someone happened to dig up on Twitter, right? And you know what they always say in that statement they have to release after the fact, that obligatory statement? It's always, I'm ashamed. These words don't reflect the type of person I am. Uh, well, they kind of do because you said them, right? And this is what James is getting at here in chapter, James chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 are all about how powerful words are, okay? So if you listen to how he starts, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, okay? That verse alone obviously had me shook really bad this week. Uh, because I'm basically speaking judgment over myself at this very moment, right? And, and obviously that verse isn't saying that teachers have a higher calling than other people or more important than other people. It's trying to get at the fact that all of us are going to be judged by our words. And teachers, by nature of what we do, use a lot of words, right? It's, it's very humbling for me every week as I pray about our service to think that something I say from this pulpit can either build someone up or hurt someone deeply in a way that could affect them the rest of their lives. And, and we know that even when we don't intend to hurt someone with our words, it's so easy to do so because words are that powerful. Which is why in verse 2, James says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. Meaning, if you can get your tongue in check, you're basically perfect. Because your words are the litmus test for everything else. Your words, um, the only way I can describe it is like, your words are like a burp, right? What, what is a burp? Uh, it tells you what you ate that day, right? It tells you what's going on in the rest of your body, okay? Kind of a strange image, but uh, you will never forget that. Okay, words reveal what's going on in your heart. And James goes on in verses 3 to 6 and he says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that I'm sure hits really close to home for us here on the West Coast. We know one spark can set an entire forest on fire. We all know words have the power to do this. I've seen words absolutely break a person, okay? I've seen words absolutely destroy marriages. I've seen words destroy lifelong friendships. I've seen words completely demoralize people and strip them of their dignity and self-confidence because we know words are powerful, right? And the reason words are powerful is because Words are kind of like the gateway drug to so many other sins. Gossip, slander, lying, adultery, war. I mean, do you know how many wars were started because of words, 
right? I could go anywhere in the country right now and I could get a guaranteed reaction by saying one of two things, make America great again or Black Lives Matter, right? And all of you probably perked up right now and you probably feel a certain way even just hearing me say those phrases and it shows you the power of words. They go beyond the words themselves. Well, where does that power come from, right? We've seen the power of words to be able to destroy and divide us as a people. Where does that power come from? And you'll be surprised to hear this, but it comes from God because words are central to who he is. You know, like it's really interesting that God could have created the universe in any way he wanted. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have thought the universe into existence, but no, he spoke the earth into existence. The first action God takes in, in the creation narrative is that he speaks. He says, let there be light, right? And with his words, he begins to create and form and mold the entire cosmos. And because you and I are created in his image, we possess this same power. But because of sin, because of the fall, rather than use this power to form and build up, we've often used our words to deform and tear down, right? We've often used our words to make people small and inadequate. We've often used our words to talk about people behind their back, to criticize and to condemn. You know, every parent's greatest fear is to hear words spoken to or about their children that will hurt them, right? Which is why God, who is our Father in heaven, is heartbroken when he sees how we're using our words, how these words are hurting his children. And James goes on in verse 7 and says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So first he says, no one can tame the tongue. It's that destructive. It's that poisonous. And then to make it worse, we use that same tongue that we use to tear people down to praise God. We just sang a worship song, and I guarantee you that within 30 minutes of this service being over, you will say something that contradicts everything you just sang. Okay? And James is saying, do you see the inc inconsistency there? Do you see there, how there's something about that that doesn't make sense? Right? Uh, you know, uh, those of you who know me know I am now fully on the LeBron James bandwagon. Okay, I may get hate for this, but I think he and MJ are 1A and 1B. Okay? Um, I was also a huge Kobe fan. And so when LeBron first came to LA and I first saw him wear a Laker jersey, it was very strange because I spent my entire adult life arguing with people on social media about LeBron, how LeBron would never be greater than Kobe. Okay, why he was not, why he was soft and he was not clutch and he was a snake for the decision and then going to Miami. And so now when I post things about LeBron, 
All of those friends I used to argue with are coming out of the woodwork saying, you are such a bandwagoner because out of the same mouth that tried to delegitimize LeBron's greatness all these years, like you made us feel so stupid, now you're saying he could be the greatest of all time? That's ridiculous, right? And this is how ridiculous we look to God when we're talking all lovingly to our CG members, when we're singing worship songs on Sunday, and then on Monday, we go to the office and start chewing everyone out. We go into our homes and start chewing our spouse out. And James is saying, this doesn't make any sense. A salt spring cannot produce fresh water. It's contaminated. Well, what do we do then with this untamable weapon that we have at our disposal that we use on a daily basis? How do we get to the place where we're able to control our tongue? And let me start by giving uh, first two practical applications, okay? First, speak less, okay? In this very same book, remember, James says, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? It's usually when we don't listen or think before we say something that our words get us into trouble. We react out of anger. We react out of emotion, and we usually end up saying things we regret later, okay? So number one, speak less. Number two, check your tone, Okay, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Sometimes you can be correct in every single thing you say, but nobody wants to listen to you because of the way you're saying it, right? Married people know this very well. Okay, when I do counseling, a lot of times a person will say to me, Jason, tell me if I'm wrong. All I said was, why aren't the dishes in the sink? I was just asking a question. It was a simple question, a harmless question. And the spouse is always like, that was not a question. That was a statement. Okay? Uh, you did not say it like that. That is not the way you said it. And that is not what you were trying to convey to me by saying it like that. You know, there's a stat. They say that only 10% of conflicts are due to a difference of opinion. 90% are due to the wrong tone of voice. Right? This is why social media and texting is so dangerous. Because you can't hear the tone of a person's voice. Right? We usually receive a message or see a post and we make it up in our minds. We make up a person's tone in our heads and it's usually way worse in our heads than the person meant to say it, okay? Like an okay gotcha with an exclamation mark feels very different from an okay gotcha, period, right? Tone matters. And all of us, I would say, really need to remember these principles in these final two weeks before the election. Because in these next two weeks, you're going to see a lot of words being thrown out there on social media. You're going to have a lot of conversations in the, in, on the news. And I want us to remember this. Speak less and check your tone. Okay? Now, that being said... Both of these applications, as helpful as they will be in your day-to-day -day relationships, and you can thank me later, uh, they will not ultimately solve the core issue, which is the heart. Because if, according to James, what you say flows out of who you are, if what you say reflects what's going on inside, 
It's not enough to just change what we say. We actually have to change who we are. And the problem is we don't possess the ability to do that, which is why James kind of, it, it feels like he kind of switches topics in verse 13 and he says this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Meaning, is there anyone who actually has the ability to live a good life and speak good words? Like it's more of a rhetorical question than anything else. And then he goes on in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Meaning, the wisdom that it will require for us to change cannot be produced on our own. Left to ourselves, all of us will only harbor bitter envy, only harbor selfish ambition, and our words will reflect that. The wisdom and capacity to change, according to James, must come from outside of us. It has to come from heaven because only that wisdom is all pure, is peace-loving, is considerate, is submissive, is full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And you know what James is ultimately describing? Or who James is describing? He's describing his brother. He's describing none other than Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls the wisdom of God. God knew we couldn't fix ourselves. He knew that, um, you know, he had to do something about it. He knew the answer wasn't in us. And so he himself had to step down from heaven to fix us. Jesus was all pure. Jesus was peace-loving and considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And he showed us these things with his words. You know, there's a famous story in John 8 when Jesus is in the temple courts and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they bring this woman who's caught in adultery and they make her stand before the group. And they say, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery and the law tells us that she deserves to be stoned. What do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Right? They wanted to know what Jesus would say. And you know what Jesus says? He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I want you to think about how profound that is. Because all of society had declared a verdict over this woman's life. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, declares a different verdict over this woman's life. When nobody comes forward, you know what Jesus, he, Jesus turns to this woman and says this, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. The power of words. With that one phrase, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus reversed every word that had been spoken into this woman's life by her family, 
by her friends, by society, in an effort to condemn her and tear her down. And not only does Jesus do this for her, he does this for all of us on the cross. You realize that every single one of you, whether you like it or not, is a product of the words that have been spoken to you and about you throughout the course of your life, right? I know that we don't want to admit it, but I guarantee you, if we were to really look and examine our lives, all of us are a product of the words that have been spoken to us, right? The words on your college admissions letter, you're accepted or admission denied. These words did something to us. The words of your former boss who said, hey, I'm really sorry, it's not working out, you're just not a good fit for this company, today's gonna be your last day. Whether we like it or not, those words did something to us. The words of your parents who said, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Why can't you just be a normal kid? Why can't you get your life together? These words did something to us. You see, people have consciously and subconsciously have declared verdicts over our lives. They've told us with their words or their silence that we were either worthy or unworthy of love. But the thing is, the Bible tells us that against the perfect standard of God, all of us are unworthy. All of us have a guilty verdict hanging over our heads. But this is why the gospel is so beautiful. I love the line in the old Matt Redman song, Nothing But the Blood, which is based on Hebrews 12, 24, that says, Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth, speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. You know, like uh, many of us uh, in this chat, uh, I don't want to use sweeping generalizations, but uh, based on the faces that I see, many of us are Asian American. And... Uh, I would say that uh, especially in Asian American culture, uh, you can feel very petty or even shameful to try to speak up for yourself, um, to try to defend yourself. And in those moments, I guarantee you, there is nothing better than someone speaking up for you. Like I know everyone here has been in a meeting or has been in a situation where someone was going at you with their words. And I'm telling you, uh, I don't know if you guys are into Enneagram, but I'm a nine on the Enneagram. And it's, it is my natural personality to not be able to speak up for myself. And so I've been in these situations a lot. And I can tell you that there is nothing more powerful and, and nothing more freeing than somebody speaking up for me. Oh, that's not what happened. Don't go, don't go at him. Don't blame him for that. That was my responsibility and I dropped the ball. That's on me. Don't blame him for that. And you see, on the cross, Jesus was saying, this one's on me. When he had all the right in the world to speak judgment over his oppressors, you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The only being who had the right to defend himself didn't do it. 
so that you and I would be forgiven of every wrong thing we've ever said and redeemed of every wrong thing that was ever said to us. But not only that, the Bible says Jesus, three days later, rose from the dead, and that same spirit that raised him from the dead now lives in us. Romans 8.10 says, But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit, of, spirit is life because of righteousness, right? This is so important because it reminds us that the power to tame the tongue does not rest in us, but in Christ Jesus who lives in us. And so if words are ultimately an overflow of what's in our hearts and Jesus is the one in our hearts, then we can live our lives with so much confidence and assurance, knowing that Jesus is going to give us all the grace we need to both love people well with our words and forgive those who speak harm and condemnation over us. Uh, You know, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to remind us of this, especially in these next few weeks as, as we get closer to this election in a time of great division and polarization Uh, when it is just has become our natural instinct to just throw words out there, demonizing people, condemning people, criticizing people. What is going to separate the people of God from everyone else in the world? When we talk about what it means to be uh, in but not of, when we talk about what it means to be a countercultural community, and I would say the easiest Uh, most obvious thing that we can do as a church is to watch what we say. And the only way we can do that is by asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom, for discernment, to give us hearts of love and compassion and empathy. Amen? So let me pray for us, and then we'll close today. Heavenly Father, um, I know that uh, I speak for everyone here. Uh, when we th- when we think about uh, the words that have <clears throat> come out of our mouths, when we think about the words that have been said to us, uh, I know uh, that we've said things that uh, have torn people down. We have said things 